right. Good morning, everybody. Let's hear that again. Good morning, everybody. There you go. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, pastors are on vacation this week, and everybody says amen. Right? It's good. It's uh, good for them to get away and get some rest, and we're praying for them that they come back very restful. And I know whenever pastor goes away, he comes back with a word. Isn't that right? So I'm looking forward to uh, his word when he comes back. So while they're away, I'm filling in today. Is that okay with you? It'll be all right. Well, good. Well, if you said no, too bad anyhow, because I wasn't going to leave. So how many of y'all saw on OBM Facebook the other day, Friday, they put out a survey. Do you like camping more or do you like the beaches more? How many saw that survey? You guys see that? Okay, so we're going to ask you right now. How many of y'all are beach people? You love the beach. How many of y'all are camping people? You like, oh, yeah, what about... Well, I think the beaches are winning a little bit. My wife's a beach person. If you didn't know, she grew up in Sarasota, Florida. So she spent her life on the beach, and then she came north and never saw a beach again. So, um, no, I, we have a deal. Whenever she wants to go to Florida, she just goes and stays with her dad. And I, I you know, give her a salute when she goes. Because I like the beach for, like, five or six hours. And I'm just like, this is just hot. And there's only so many times you can jump in the water and get sandy and be over it. You know, that's just me. I'm a mountain guy. So camping and beaches didn't really... Who's a mountain guy like me? Okay, yeah, I'm a mountain guy. So as a matter of fact, um, on a, a Wednesday... I'm heading out to Estes Park, the Rocky Mountain National Park, and we're going to do some hiking. I'm excited about that. I've been a few times, but I, I know some guys that have never been before. So I, I planned the trip so these guys can go experience it. So I've got four rookies going with me and one other guy who's experienced. And uh, we got about over 30 miles of hiking trails mapped out in the mountains. So pray for their souls, okay? Um, I'm kidding, kind of. Um, and, and by the way, you know, um, some of our hikes are going to get up above 12,000 feet. Well, last week in the Rockies, they got nine inches of snow above 10,000 feet. So we're going to be up in some snow, which will be exciting. But uh, honestly, all snow does is make it hard when you have to run away from a bear. You know, that's just, you know, that's all snow does. So, uh, but, but when you're with a group of people, the thing about bears is all you got to do is not be the slowest person in the group. You know what I mean? So... I think I'm good to go, knowing who's going with me, but uh, that's not loving your neighbor as yourself, is it? It's not. I know. I understand. So we would may, maybe try to save somebody, but I'm just kidding. It's, it, it'll be a good time. So that's why I'm going to be next Sunday. But anyways, I'm excited to be with you today, and I just want to be in the Word with you for a little bit. So if you got your Bible, who brought a Bible with you today? Even if it's on your phone, hold it up. Who brought the Word to the house of God? Good. I'm glad you brought it. Luke chapter number 10 is where we're headed today. And I uh, know I think I got EJ back there. Yeah, EJ's on the computer. So we're going to stay in Luke 10. And um, we're, we're going to uh, read something and talk about it, read something and talk about it. But in between there, I got some verses. We're going to go somewhere else, EJ. But we'll, us at our seats, we can stay in Luke 10. We'll just have EJ put the other ones up on the screen. But we should be constantly asking the question... What does biblically-centered living look like? Isn't that right? We should be constantly asking ourselves when we come together as a church, what does it mean to truly follow Jesus? You can say that, what does it mean to be a disciple? 
What does it mean to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God? What does it mean to live resurrected life now as we're waiting for the final resurrection? Those are all terminologies that interact with each other. But we should be constantly asking how to live a biblically-centered life. We preach Christ crucified. We testify to his resurrection. We call for repentance of our sins. We pray for revival, right? But what does biblically-centered living look like on its ground level? And if you look at scriptures, there is a theme that runs through the entire scriptures that Jesus brings together. Even in talking about the law and the prophets, he brings it together a couple of different times in our New Testament scripture, and certainly in Luke chapter 10 is one of those places. See, there, we're going to read this in a minute, but there was a lawyer. Uh, and it's not a lawyer when we think about a lawyer, but lawyer as in somebody who would be considered an expert in the law. Had an interaction with Jesus. And in this interaction, this lawyer, this expert in the law, asked Jesus two questions. And if you see these questions separately, you're not sure they would tie together, but Jesus brings them together. The first question he asked is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And after a little bit of a discourse, and there, there's, Jesus asked a question, and, and this expert in the law answers. The expert in the law asks another question. Well, who is my neighbor? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And in that same discourse, it ends up on this question, well, who is my neighbor? And we're going to talk about that today, and why those matter to each other. But before we get there, look at Luke chapter 10. And verse number 21. Jesus had just sent out the 72. He empowered them to go out. They come back in testimony. And and right before the scripture we're going to focus on today, there's a little interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And it goes like this. Verse 21 of Luke 10. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. In other words, Jesus is the way to the Father. And he turned into his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye have not seen them, and to hear those which ye hear and not heard them. What's he talking about? He's talking about the inaugurated kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about. The prophets and the kings long ago were waiting for the kingdom to come. But the idea of it wasn't quite what actually happened, but they were waiting for God to manifest himself in a way that was tangible and reclaiming a lost earth, right? Jesus is saying, I just sent you out in power. You are seeing the things that they have so long to see. You hear the things that they so long to see. It is happening in your midst. Amen. You know what's great about that? It's still happening. You are blessed 
because you are seeing things which they long to see and you're hearing things which they long to hear even today. And that age that Jesus started, the kingdom age was, then, was turned into the church age at Pentecost. We still live in that age waiting for his return when the finality of the kingdom comes in its fullness. Well, you know what's so great about that? You get to participate in it. You are part of the process of God reclaiming this world for his kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? It's the reign and rule of God establishing itself. That's what it is. Amen. You get to participate in it. Amen. You can be sent out in power, right? You can see the wonders that Jesus sent us to do. You get to participate in this kingdom. It's like the parables. The yeast is being worked through the dough right now. It's like the seed that, that grows into the largest plant and the birds come roost in its branches. That is happening right now. We're not waiting for it to come. It is in our midst now, but it's going to come. That, that's why you can say, well, I'm saved. I'm being saved and I'm going to be saved. That, that's, that's how Paul talks about stuff. I'm saved. How many of y'all are saved? Yeah, you're made a new creation. How many of you are working out that salvation and sanctification? You're being saved. And how many know that Jesus is coming again in the final salvation to make all things new? We believe. Right. But see, what Luke does here, and I, I, I think you sometimes have to pay attention to the gospel writers. Because we read them as stories straight through. We don't leave room a lot of times that there are theologians in their own rights. It, I don't think it's a mistake that Luke takes the story of Jesus sending out the 72 in the report and saying what we just read, then records this interaction with this expert in the law, this lawyer. Okay? So let's jump on there. Luke chapter 10 and verse number 25. So this is a separated event, but Luke puts them back to back in his narrative. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up, or an expert in the law stood up, and tempted him, and this wasn't necessarily in a negative sense, but just ask him a question, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? How many know that's important? <laughs> it's an important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How many of y'all want to live eternally with Jesus? Okay, yeah, it's an important question. And Jesus, he said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest that? Isn't it like Jesus to, to ask a question to his question and not just give him a five-point sermon on what he's asking? You know, he does that to you sometimes. He wants to draw you in a little bit. He wants to take you deeper. If you notice that the gospel story, we believe the gospels are inspired, correct? Why are they told like a story? Why didn't we get a five-point plan? Why didn't Jesus just have somebody write out, okay, do this, do this, do this, and you're, you're good. Why did we get four narrative stories? Because stories take you in. Stories take you beyond knowledge and, and get right in here. You can't stop at knowledge when it comes to what must I do to inherit eternal life. Okay? So, he asked him, well, well how do you read the law? So this expert in the law, verse 27, and answering him said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus, okay, yeah. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, 
this do and thou shalt live. Now, I think if somebody stopped you and said, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You're going to say, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, right? Believe that he has been raised from the dead, and you shall be saved. That's, isn't that what most of you are going to say, right? You're, you're going to maybe say something about repenting for your sins. Yeah, you're going to say that stuff. And that was all 110% correct. But see, when the expert in law is, is talking about eternal life, he is talking about what must I do to live in the kingdom? And he's, and he's thinking now and later. And Jesus kind of steps over that stuff. He could have said those things, right? But he goes right into something else. So, again, we had Jesus sending out the disciples in power, the 72. They come back with great reports. He's saying, look, blessed are you because you're seeing things they wish to see and you're hearing things that they wish to hear. And Luke comes in and says, now there's something else here that we need to put together with this. Because you can be so power-minded that you forget the currency of the kingdom. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He didn't go back and say, we'll go out and live in power, which we should do, not minimizing that. But the everyday life living comes to this. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. See, hey, EJ, throw up there for me, please. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to read a, another account in uh, verse 34. Another account where Jesus says about loving God and loving your neighbor. If you can put that up. Matthew 22, verse number 34. And when the Pharisees had heard they had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, another expert in law, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. One more. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. And what do you think about that last sentence? When you hang your coat on something, your coat is being supported by what you hang it on. See, all of the law and the prophets, you can, you can stick your finger in Exodus and take it all the way to Malachi. Everything that the law and the prophets said and say it is hung on the backbone of everything you read there is love God with everything you have and the second like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You think about that. See, these experts in the law that knew the law, when, when, when Jesus said, well, how do you read it? They were catching it. They were seeing it. You can take all the things that we're an expert in and we can put it in two things. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, can it be that easy? You know, Martin Luther once said, if you love right, it will be hard to sin. Think about that. If I love right, man, God, my relationship with him, what he's asked me to do, following him, I'll fall in line. If I love my neighbor right, well, if I, if I do what is right for my spouse, 
my kids, my physical neighbor, the person I run into at Walmart. If I love right, you're not going to leave much room for sin right there. It can be that simple. See, when, when Jesus said that it hangs on the law and the prophets, I'm going to read this, what I wrote here. This is what he means. As God set apart a people as his own, starting with Abram, and began to build a society of people who worshipped him and lived justly, the law showed their sin and pointed to a better way, and the prophets reminded them of this. When these two commands sum up the law and the prophets, it means that the framework to living in the kingdom life, the Christian life, can be summed up in loving God and loving neighbor. That's how it works. So the law pointed out sin, but eventually pointed to a better way, right? And what do the prophets do? By the way, prophets, let's talk about the office of the prophet. We think, especially being so far removed and so little seen in the office of a prophet, let's be honest, that prophets, well, they're the guys that predict the future and, and, and uh, uh, you know, they're just all about eschatology and times. And modern-day prophets, they kind of predict the future and they kind of interpret that stuff and try to fit modern events into the Bible. Well, the basis of the office of the prophet was to stand up against idolatry and injustice in the people of God. And they then predicted judgment against the nation because of idolatry and injustice. Now, that word injustice, oppression, uh, against the poor, the marginalized, the outcast. Israel wasn't very good at this. They were constantly in sin about these things. They, they followed other gods' idolatry. They were not good in, in helping those in need, injustice. So, idolatry, injustice, what, what, what are the other sides of those things? Idolatry, the opposite is loving God. The opposite of injustice is what? Loving neighbor. The prophets, when, when the law pointed to sin and pointed to a better way, and the prophets came to remind them of what the law said, Jesus comes and said, now I'm going to sum the whole, the whole thing up to you. Everything the law said and everything the prophets talked about, I'm going to put it right here for you. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's look at another one here. Jesus uh, talked about summing up the law and the prophets in another place. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 12, right, right near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 12. Therefore all things, whatsoever ye would have men should do to you, do even so to them, for this is, another translation sums up, the law and the prophets. Now, sometimes that gets shoved away a little bit, but you understand that he just said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This will sum up everything you see from Exodus to Malachi. You, you see that? This sums up the Lord. How we treat other people determines how much we understand the workings of the kingdom of God. You see that? Now, well, let's look at one more, and then we'll get back to Luke. James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, EJ. James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Thank you. 
This is James, the brother of Jesus. James was leader of the early church. He writes, if you fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, he calls this the royal law. Of all the laws you can find in Scripture, he calls this the, the top end law in Scripture. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well if you fulfill that. One more. But if you have respect to persons, show favoritism, categorize, and so forth, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law. In other words, the law points you out as a transgressor. James, leader in the early church, brother of Jesus, says, the royal law, the highest law we find in Scripture is love your neighbor as yourself. But if you don't do that, in other words, you end up showing favoritism, you categorize, you put people in boxes, you're in sin. That's pretty strong, right? And when you're in sin, he goes back to the law and says the law points you out as a sinner. You see? So let's, let's keep on with what Jesus is doing with this expert in the law. And by the way, why do we love our neighbors? Just, let me just say this. Why do we love our neighbors? You love your neighbor because you've been saved. Amen. And put a period at the end of that sentence. The reason that you love your neighbor as yourself, the reason you would do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the reason you would uphold the royal law, is because you have been converted. Amen. Now, this is why I heard, why I love my neighbor so I can see them saved. No. You love your neighbor because you've been saved. Amen. And through your interaction with them, if they happen to get saved, praise God. But if they don't get saved, you still love them. Amen. Right? You don't stop loving somebody because they reject the gospel. Again, then we're back to categorizing people. Well, they're just a sinner and see you later. You love somebody because you have been saved. But then you love somebody, you can't help to share the greatest hope that you have, which is Jesus. Right? Okay, we love people because we have been saved. Now, let's keep reading this, this interaction. Verse 29, oh, this is the big thing right here. But he, the, the, the uh, uh, lawyer, the expert in law, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So this expert in the law, knowing that he can read all the law and the prophets and give Jesus the right answer, what must I do to inherit eternal life, said, well, love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, correct, do this and you will live. He's smart enough to know something. Oh, man. I really have to love people. Okay, so I want to justify myself here. Hold on, Jesus. Who really is my neighbor? You, you know, um, I've, been, I've been pastoring for 26 years. And when I said that, my eye twitched. But anyways, 26 years. Um, I could tell you a thousand times where I heard somebody say, just follow what the Bible says. Just do what Jesus says. Right? How many of all hear that? Okay, yeah, how many of y'all say it? Well, sure, you should. We should just follow what the Bible says. We should just do what Jesus says. But then, then when we really look at it, we kind of get like this expert in law. Oh, I know you said that, Jesus, but I know the Bible says that, but you see what I mean? And we start to think of all these situations where that really may not work. Well, I know Jesus said, blessed are the meek, 
for they will inherit the earth. But man, being meek all the time, that doesn't always work in every situation. So hold on, Jesus. Let's talk about this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Wow, you mean I have to be a peacemaker all the time? Okay, let me give you a couple hypotheticals, Jesus. We need to talk this through. And we start putting butts on the end of Scripture. Because we like to justify ourselves. If you're not careful, you can butt yourself right out of the kingdom of God. You see what I'm saying? And you can miss what he's doing, right? And I was going to make a joke about your butts being judged, but that's not good because you'll miss it. But anyway, your butt. Anytime you bring a butt to what Jesus said, and then you decide to live by your situation in another way, you better hope that what you said is a different situation than what Jesus told us to do, that it stands up in his righteous judgment. Because we will be judged for what we do. Because the moment you say, well, who is my neighbor? I want to justify this. You already knew what he said. You know. That's why you're trying to justify it. So who is my neighbor? Everybody can come up with excuses why they don't need to completely live out the words of Jesus. In other words, we're trying to limit the responsibility of our own lives to what he said. See, we must believe Jesus, we must confess Jesus, and we must believe in the way that he shows us that we should live. Ultimately, you've got to believe his way is the best way. And sometimes we struggle with that. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. He forgave my sins. All those things. I'm a Christian. But do you believe that his way is the best way when he says you must love your neighbor? End of sentence. Do you believe in when he says the meek inherit the earth? Blessed to the... Do you believe in when he says that you must love your enemies and pray for those who persecute? Do you believe that? Do you believe it's the best way? I mean, you're constantly faced with choices. We have choices to make every way, every day. And a lot of them involve, am I going to do this the Jesus way? Because Jesus isn't just the way, but he shows us the way. Am I going to do this the Jesus way, or am I just going to keep on doing it the way the world does it? Because I think I can justify doing it that way, even though I know what Jesus said. We face these choices all the time. Let me put it this way. I've had conversations with people about some of the hard things that Jesus said. And, and again, it's a lot of always coming up with hypotheticals as, as to why. And in situations, a lot of times I'll never face, but just this hypothetical thing. What if this, 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 and this? And the hypothetical always is in a way that puts them at a disadvantage if they do what Jesus said. Then I end up in a disadvantage somehow. Okay? Do you believe that your treasure is on this earth? Or your treasure is in heaven? Do you believe your final reward is here? Or your final reward is what's to come? You see, how much you really believe in the life to come will dictate how much you really will live by the ways of Jesus, even if it feels like it puts you at a disadvantage right now. That's big. Because I can say, well, I know I'm supposed to be meek, but this time I'm meek, I got run over and I lost. 
Well, you want to inherit the earth now or you want to inherit it later? Your choice. Do we really believe that what Jesus said is going to happen is actually going to happen? Because that's what the martyrs believed. Why would somebody go so far as not to recant their faith in the face of death? Why would they not do that? Because they believed in the life to come. I was reading not long ago, uh, 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 it wasn't a book, I don't even know how to describe it, but it was on early church history and, and had a lot of, at the time, eyewitness accounts of things were happening. Some of the eyewitness accounts were about uh, saints being martyred. And in every opportunity, they give them a chance to recant. You know that? Every time. They would say, give your allegiance to Caesar and we'll leave you alone. And they always go, No. Burned at the stake, heads chopped off, fed to the, to the wild beasts. But they had a chance to recant every single time. And every single time they said, nope, tie me up, throw me in, I'm going. Why? Because doing what Jesus said at the moment to the greatest disadvantage of losing your life was greater because they knew the life to come and they believed how much are you really willing to live the words of Jesus now to inherit eternal life? Right? So, he tried to justify himself. And as Jesus does, Jesus tells a parable. And verse number 30. Well, let's, let's, let's go to the players real quick. The players of the parable we have, a Jewish man who was robbed, beaten, uh, uh, thrown to the side of the road, left to die on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, which, by the way, is about 17 miles, very rocky, very hilly, so it was easy for, for thieves to hide there. Um, and, and certainly it happened. So Jesus, this wasn't just something he, out of his own imagination. It happened. So he took literal life experience and turned it into a parable. So we have a man that was robbed, beaten, left to die. We have a priest, the kind of Jewish religious leader that, that led the temple worship. Then you have a Levite, and the Levite, the Levites, you know, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests kind of thing, but the Levites helped the, the temple worship and the setup and the function of it. Then, then the other player of the story is the Samaritan. The Samaritans and the Jewish people did not get along to say that lightly. They were arch enemies. They did not like each other. They both claimed proper worship of God. Uh, um, they, they just did not like each other. They share uh, ancestry. But, but at this point, they didn't like each other to the point. Remember James and John, when they're traveling with Jesus and, and the Samaritan town didn't welcome him, James and John were like, let's just burn the place up. Fire from heaven, boom, gone. That's how much little regard that Jewish people held for Samaritans. They were not friendly. As a matter of fact, a Jewish person could become unclean by interacting with Samaritan. Okay? So those are the players of this parable, and here it goes. Verse 30, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, was stripped of him of his raiment or his clothes and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. 
And when he saw him, had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring, oil and, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. So we'll stop there. So a man traveling on a road was attacked, beaten, stolen from, left for half dead. If somebody didn't come help him, the guy was going to die. So here comes the religious priest. You imagine this in your mind. You know the priests, they're all put together and proper, right? They lead the temple worship. He sees the man and walks the entire other side of the road and keeps going. Not long later, here comes a Levite, probably somebody who helped facilitate the temple worship. He's doing the same thing. He says he came and looked upon him. He went over the other side of the road and kept going his way. You know, um, as Christians, this is what we would do sometimes. Let me, let me throw out some hypotheticals to you, okay? I was talking about hypotheticals. Let me give you some. We're, we're, we're heading down the road. We see the same situation. But you know what? I can't help you. I'm going to pray for you. Don't worry. You got this. I believe in you. You have a little faith. God's going to get you out of this. But you know what? I'm busy. I'm out of here. And we head down the road. Right? You know, we believe in the power of prayer. The Bible says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. James chapter 5. We believe that you pray and, and have faith and you can say that mountain be moved and it'll be moved, right? God will always do what we cannot do, right? But you know there's sometimes the things we pray, we need to be a part of our prayer. You can pray for that mountain to be moved and next morning you wake up and there's a shovel laying next to you. That God's going to do what He can do, but He wants you to participate. See, religious passivity doesn't always get the job done. It never gets the job done. You, you can pray, but if you can do something, what good is your prayer? Because what righteousness is in a prayer of a powerful, righteous man if you just pass by and simply don't care and just throw out a religious platitude? Well, I'll pray for you. You'll be okay. I know it, because God's God. What if you were the only incarnate of Jesus walking by that day? And God was trying to be God, and you kept going and just said, I'll pray for you. See, loving your neighbor is not just, well, uh, it is active love. Well, here's some other things. Maybe, 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 like the Levi said, he came and looked upon him. And of course, he went over... Maybe in our looks of, of, of people, we try to justify whether or not we have to love them. Let me get a little closer and decide. You see what I mean? Maybe it's like, 
Well, you know, I thought you looked familiar, but now I see you're a stranger. I'm going to keep going. I only really want to help somebody I, I'm familiar with and know. Right? Maybe you get a little closer and say, oh, well, you're not from my church. Maybe you don't go to church at all, but I only really want to help people that want to be blessed by Jesus. So I'm going to go on the other side. Well, maybe you get up and you say, I thought I noticed, but I realized you're a different skin color than me. Maybe one of your kind will come help you. I'm going to go to the other side. Maybe, maybe you get a little close. Oh, you know, I thought I heard you crying out. wasn't sure, but I see you speak Spanish. Sorry, I'm English. Can't help you. Again, maybe one of your kind will come help you. I'm going to head to the other side. Or maybe it's, I thought I heard that Canadian. You're Canadian? How'd you sneak down here? Well, maybe the Mounties will come save you. I'm going to the other side. Maybe it's, uh, you know, I realize your clothes are ripped and tore, but I do really realize you just dress really dirty. Well, you know, I'm higher social status than you. I'm elite. I'm going to go to the other side. Maybe you want to play 20 questions. Hey, what are you? Pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, amillennial, or are you pre-wrath? What are you? <laughs> Sorry, wrong answer. I'm going to the other side. See, we can justify ourselves out of helping people all day long. Amen. Well, well maybe, maybe, oh, I see you're wearing a pin of the other party of our, our uh, voting system. Yeah, I'm definitely going to the other side. Well, or maybe, which was the case with the Samaritan, by the way, he walks up. Oh, this is a Jewish guy. We're enemies. You know what, you're my enemy? Chances are you're reaping what you sow, man. So since you're sowing it, I'm go. I'm going. You deserve this. You're my enemy. I'm out of here. Hey, EJ, throw up Matthew chapter 5, verse number 43. Let's talk about enemies just for a second. Sermon on the Mount stuff again. By the way, read the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of good stuff in there, Matthew 5 through 7. And here Jesus brings up this loving thy neighbor. You heard it said, has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Watch this. That you may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and send his rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward will you have? Do you not even the publicans do the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more, do more than others? Do not even the publicans do so? Now watch this. I want you to leave us up here for a second, EJ. Be ye perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. That is one of the most cherry-picked verses in the entire Bible. That is one of the verses in the Bible that is used so far of its context. It's crazy. Now, we are called to a life of holiness. How, how many know that? 
But Jesus is saying, if you want to be perfect like God in heaven, love your enemies. Think about that. If you want to be like Him, who while we were yet sinners, showed His love for us, that He came and died on the cross for us. If you want to be like Him, love those who are your enemies. Love those who hate you. Love those who use you. Love those who are your enemy and think you're their enemy. Love them. Jesus is changing what he said. You can take it down. Thanks. Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but you can hate your enemy. Let's remove that second part and just stay right here. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's calling us to it. But here comes the Samaritan. You know, the Samaritan got a closer look like that last situation. And even though he saw everything he saw, his closer look was just more to how can I help this guy? Not what can cause me not to want to help him. The closer look saw that he was broken and bruised and he started to treat him, knew that he couldn't just leave him there, put him up on his animal, took him to an inn, took care of him there, and even so much as long as he needs to stay here, I'm paying for it. The Samaritan took his enemy, went way out of his way, and spent a bunch of money because he loves his neighbor as himself. Not just passing by, I'm going to pray for you, but active participation of what Jesus is calling us to. Can you imagine? Oh, but by the way, just to say this, if Jesus, is there any wonder they wanted to kill Jesus? Because even in the story, it wasn't a Jewish man, it was a hero, it was a Samaritan. He made the bad guy the hero. Is there any wonder they wanted to kill Jesus? constantly was getting after them about their preconceived notions and what they thought they understood and they were missing the whole point. Because even, even the, law, the, the expert in the law, even though he knew the right words to say, he tried to justify so he didn't have to do it. In other words, it was here, but never got here. You see. How about another situation? Let's, one more scenario and then we'll get done, done here in a couple minutes. Imagine if that's you laying on the side of the road. Whatever situation you can imagine, but you're broken, you're bruised, you're beat, you're left for dead. And here comes God. Well, I know just who you are. You're a sinner. You're messed up. You, you, you profane me. You, I'm going to the other side. You get what you deserve. I don't have to do nothing for you. I tried. You messed it up. Can you imagine if God passed on the other side of the road for each one of us when we needed Him? Or even, to, even after we're saved, times we need Him. Imagine if He's just like, I'm just going to pass on the other side of the road. I'll pray for you. <laughs> You'll be alright. Is that what God is like? What made them mad at Jesus about this was because he said the Samaritan is acting more like God than you Jewish religious leaders. That's what made them mad. But what did God do? Well, he sent Jesus. 
And Jesus is not far off. He's not distant, but he was born in human flesh. And he came right into the middle of our mess. Jesus got right with us. He did not leave us. He's not forsaking us, but he is here. to. And this is what he said. The spirit of a sovereign Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives. And release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus says every time he comes across the road to help us. But even when he ascended, the Holy Spirit comes. We are never left alone by God. He is always right here with us. Right? We cast our cares upon Him. We pray. We struggle. We fight. But He's always with us. He's always empowering us. He's always giving us wisdom. He's always blessing us. He's always doing whatever we need because, well, He's a God of love and He's a God of grace. He never just leaves us alone. So back to Luke chapter 10. Verse 36, now Jesus comes and asks another question. Now which of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And the expert in law said, he that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, go and do likewise. You know, you don't get to choose who your neighbor is. We like to do so, don't we? Move to certain places, you know. We, we try to watch where we go. We, we try to, we try to keep things sometimes like ourselves. We don't get to choose our neighbor. God chose your neighbor, and the neighborhood is diverse. Who is my neighbor? Every human being you see, come across, see on TV, see when you go out, every human being you see is your neighbor. Everyone. You know why? Because every human being has a soul. And every human being has been made in the image of God. So we're human beings together. You don't get to choose who your neighbor is. God chose it for you, and he made it. Amen. He created it. So Jesus asked, who's the neighbor? Who is the neighbor? The neighbor is the one who is active in bringing life to those around them. That's who the neighbor is. We talk about abundant life. We talk about losing our own life to gain life. This is part of it. This underlies the whole entire thing. What God intends you to be starts as its foundational blocks after your salvation is love God with everything you have. You grow in your love to Him. And in that, He will teach you how to love your neighbor as yourself. Foundational blocks of the Christian life that everything comes from. I mean, my goodness, the law and the prophets hang on it. 
Now, how many of you are perfect at loving your neighbor? Not me. See, in all these things that we're praying about all the time, I want you to be praying about everything. Is a part of your prayer life, Lord, I want to love you more and I want to love my neighbor more? You pray that way? Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to pray that, and one day you're going to wake up, and there's going to be a shovel laying next to you. He's going to say, now go and do likewise. What can you do? Now, I, I don't know, maybe some of you, I, I have never been walking down the road and saw a man beaten, bruised, stolen from, almost dead, laying right there. It's never happened to me. I've seen a lot of crazy stuff, but that one I haven't seen. I was a youth pastor for 20 years. I've seen some crazy stuff. But anyways, I've never seen that, right? But whatever situation you come across every single day, you stop and think, and what I'm about to do, or what I just did, am I loving my neighbor as myself? In the same way that when God saw me laying broken and, and bruised and dying on the side road, he sent Jesus to me to fix me. Or it's just so easy because we don't want to involve ourselves or because there's something about that person that turns us off that we just don't want to go there. One more, EJ. Micah chapter 6 and verse number 6. We'll close after this. Micah chapter 6, verse number 6. Prophet Micah, and remember I said the prophets were all about, and, and it's not that they didn't do eschatology, but they really were speaking to the culture. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord? In other words, when I come before the Lord and bow myself before the, the high God, shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now, now in other words, Mike is saying, is God really ultimately pleased with the act of sacrifice that we see set up in the Old Testament? Is that really what gets to him? Here's what Micah says. In other words, you could almost put it but there. But he has shown thee, O oh man, that's us, what is good. In other words, if you want to live the good life, here it is. And what doeth thou the Lord require of thee? And what's so great about this, what the Lord requires of us will cause us to live a good life, and sometimes we miss that. Here's the good life. Here's what the Lord requires of you. But to do justly, and to love mercy. What is that? Loving your neighbor. And to walk humbly with thy God. That is loving God. If you want to live the good life, you do justice, you love mercy, love your neighbor, and walk humbly with your God, which is loving God with everything you have. That is the good life as laid out by Scripture. Not how much money you can get. Not having just all these perfect relationships. That's not achieving all your dreams and, and all the successes. Those things are okay. Nothing wrong with that. I have goals. I have dreams. I like, I like to have a retirement when I get there. 
But if I focus so much on those things to get what I want, and I miss loving God with everything I have, second, like it, loving my neighbor as I myself, I've missed life. I've missed the good life that leads us into the perfect life. This is what God is calling us to. And listen to me, everybody knows we live in a very loud, very agitated world. There are a lot of things out there pulling for your allegiance. There's a lot of messages out there. The Holy Spirit is not going to try to scream at you above the noise of the world. You understand that? He's not going to get louder than the loud that you're hearing. He's going to be after you in that still small voice that says, in all of this stuff, remember, you've got to love God and love your neighbor. And that will teach you how to deal with the noise and the things that fight for your allegiance and all the contradicting messages that are out there. If you don't start there, you're going to get lost up here. And when the Holy Spirit's trying to get a hold of you and trying to get a hold of you, you're, you're just going to be lost and you're going to be listening to all the noise and all the loudness and all the anger. And all. Start right here. And, and how you then participate and respond and be involved, if you can't bring it back to, I'm loving God with everything and loving my neighbor, if you can't get back there, you need to think again about what you're doing. Because you can butt yourself right out of the kingdom of God and not even realize you did it. Because he told us what the good life is. And that's the life we should be living. Amen. Let's pray. Close up today. I want to challenge you today to make it a daily part of your life to pray about your love. Am I loving right? Am I growing in my love? Put it in your life. Put it in your prayer life. Think about it. Know the voice of the Holy Spirit enough that when he convicts you and leads you and speaks to you, you hear him. You've got to be in his presence. You've got to be in his word. You've got to be in prayer. But challenge yourself that you will never be the person that crosses on the other side of the road. Never, ever, ever. No matter what that means. That you are doing what Jesus would do. Lord, we thank you for the life that you've given us. Lord, we are so sorry of the mess that we've made it. But you right now, as you taught us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is functioning right now. I pray that each one of us here, that we are a vital part to the participation in the kingdom. And I pray that each one of us understand that the foundation of doing that is loving you and loving our neighbor. And we're not moved from it, but we grow into it. I thank you, Jesus, for our salvation. I thank you for your patience with us. I thank you for binding up our wounds and repaying what we have lost. I thank you for that. Only you can do that. 
Hey, online church but family, want I want to, to share see. with you three ways that you can honor God we with your tithes and your and offerings. For the you. first way is this. You can simply mail we'll in your offering. You. you can do so at the address. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. You are our risen Savior. But I pray that we see each one as you would. I pray that you teach us and you guide us. We see each person around us as you would. And that flaw that we have in humanity called hate and disregard and turning our heads and looking the other way and closing our ears to the cries of those in need. I pray you open our eyes and unstop our ears and clear our conscience that we are the inhabitants of this world who represent you to the greatest extent we can. Not only in power, but in how we love. I thank you for that, Jesus. The opportunity to do that. We want to participate because we as a church, we are rescuers. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, thanks for coming today.